everyone. I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, December the 15th. It used to be that the news slowed down mid-December, but that's hardly the case anymore. So we are still plugging away with a strong panel to discuss a lot of what is happening all around us this week. Welcome to Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, along with Krista Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post. Eric Sonderman, columnist with Colorado Politics and the Colorado Springs and Denver Gazettes, and also Tyrone Glover, civil rights and criminal defense attorney. Thank you all for coming in. College students are wrapping up exams and heading home for much-needed breaks, and that's not only a break from schoolwork, but perhaps what's happening on many campuses and conversations about the right to free speech at universities versus the right for students to be safe. Here in Colorado, universities have been issuing statements about where they stand as the fallout lingers following the testimony from presidents of three prestigious universities last week, Patty. Well, as came up in those hearings, context matters and the context is why were three university presidents even called on the carpet before Congress? You've got enough problems dealing with your own university, and Congress presumably has enough problems dealing with its own members, and maybe a few other issues they need to deal with before the new, the new year starts. So the context is important. There's no question free speech is difficult. It might be free, but it is always difficult. You've got issues at the Colorado State Legislature about the Israeli flag, the Palestinian flags being flown on the desks. You have a debate up in Avon right now about whether or not the town should fly the Israeli flag. It's really, really tricky. I came from Chicago where the Nazis wanted to march in Skokie, Illinois, which was a largely Jewish suburb and you had the ACLU coming in to defend them. Free speech can get so ugly, but campuses need to deal with it. They need to keep their students safe, but they also need to protect free speech. So it's as tricky as anything can be, but why Congress had to jump into this, I don't know. Krista. You know, free speech is essential on campus. We know that. The question is, where is the line between free speech and harassment. And the fact is, if you're calling from you know, the whole, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, you're calling for the removal, either lethally or otherwise, of an entire group of people. That's genocide, right? Um, when people are shouting that, does that constitute harassment? Um, getting up in somebody's face and screaming at them, and we've had examples of that, where Jewish students have been targeted. I think that universities need to be very clear. If you want to put forth an opinion, that is certainly your right. But if you're getting uh, in people's faces, if you're you know threatening them, beating on the glass of events, going to cafes that are you know or, or shops owned by Jewish people and beating on the doors, that that's harassment, and there should be absolutely no tolerance for that. Um, and, and that's true for whether it's, it's uh, targeting Jewish students, targeting Arab students, or targeting um, Muslim students. Anyone who is targeted for harassment should be defended, not only by fellow students, but also by the university. And, and I know that our different universities are struggling with making that line. I thought it was interesting that CCU, Colorado Christian University, did a, a fundraising event for Israel. Um, I think that that's a, 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 a wonderful thing to do. My question is, is does that university also, and I, I wasn't at the event, so they might have, um, show as much compassion for, uh, you know, Palestinians and um, Arab Israelis, uh, that 13,000 um, Palestinians uh, in Gaza have died. War is a horrific thing, but you can't look at the pictures of those children and not feel compelled to, to, 
to pray for them and to uh, be available to to provide for them. So I guess any university, uh, I would you know, if you're going to weigh in, make sure that you understand the complexity of these issues and also compassion for both groups of people. And by both groups, I mean Palestinians and Israelis, not Hamas. Obviously, people who target and murder innocent people. Um, deserve no compassion, but there are other people that are, you know, in that vicinity that are suffering, and I think that we need to be compassionate for all. Eric. Well, there's no doubt that uh, the events of October 7th and everything that has unfolded since then, and obviously uh, Israel's retaliation has set this whole issue on fire, if you will. I think all of us on this panel can agree on the importance and the core foundational value of free speech. The question around college campuses has been, and not just in this particular uh, context, to, to use that word again, uh, has been the application of that free speech. And it's, it's too often free speech for me, but not for thee. It's free speech when it favors the accepted narrative or the narrative that the powers that be, particularly in academia, want to promote. Uh, I think these three college presidents, it was hard to watch them in front of Congress, but these are accomplished people who, you know, should be a little more fluid on their feet than, uh, than they certainly were in that congressional hearing. Yes, context matters, but occasionally you ought to be able to speak with a certain core moral clarity. And when asked the questions that they were being asked, it should not be that difficult to answer in a morally uh, clear way. We got to get back to a point where all points of view are valued on college campuses and in society, and where free speech means protecting speech with which you disagree, that that is equally important. It's awfully easy to defend speech that fits your existing worldview. The trick is to defend speech which goes against your existing worldview, and that's in short supply in all circles these days. Mm -hmm. And now to our attorney, your thoughts, Tyrone? Well, as it relates to the college professors, I feel like they were prepared as though they were in front of the Supreme Court trying to navigate the nuances of their uh, codes of conduct, when in actuality, this was a congressional inquiry, right? And as leaders of their university, at a moral level, they should unequivocally and unambiguously condemn hate speech, condemn threats and harassment, and condemn uh, speech that incites violence. These are types of speech which are not protected, and we have very strong precedent, and those are exceptions to the First Amendment. Now, in navigating how those are applied, which is what I think they were trying to do, and talking about context, it makes sense, but it wasn't right for the moment. And it wasn't necessarily right for the moment because much of this inquiry was politically motivated. The motivations for getting these particular uh, leaders up existed long before October 7th and was motivated by sort of the, the rights attack on wokeism, on liberal leanings in these elite universities. You know, we have uh, folks in there who are asking these questions who themselves have advanced you know, right-wing conspiracy theories, a great replacement which is now being brought up even more and more and even on like the, the, the highest debate stages. And now they're trying to be the sort of champions of uh, you know, going against anti-Semitism. 
we need to have these robust debates on our college campuses for our students, oftentimes, before they go into their relative corners of our society, this is the last time for them to really get together and have these debates and, and sort of receive this education. And this can be a real opportunity if there is this positive and robust debate to help them understand things like from the river to the sea. And while some folks see that as just a call for Palestinian liberation, the context and how that is received by Jewish Americans and Jews all around the world can sort of be explored and educated. So um, it's just, I think, a shame that in all of this, so much politics and so much score settling um, and, and, and beef settling has really found its way in. But at the end of the day, I agree with all the panelists here. We need to protect the First Amendment, but we need to do it in a way where students are safe and people can be heard. A poll came out this week that suggests Colorado may be losing its competitiveness or its mojo, as Patty has said in the past, and that residents here are worried about what awaits in 2024. The top issues on the minds of those surveyed, Krista, are the cost of living, crime and safety, and then the affordable, affordability of housing. I know. So I don't, uh, I buy a lot of things used. So anytime I go somewhere to actually buy something new, I always have sticker shock. I think I paid like $5 for a piece of chocolate the other day. That was strange for me. And maybe that's, I'm getting old, but also it is the cost of living. And so I am not shocked by these polling uh, numbers. People are like, why, why, why is this carton of milk so expensive? And, and part of that's inflation and a Congress and the president, particularly the, the former president and the current president, um, have, a, had a, have a lot of blame there. When you spend a lot of money and print it all up, you're going to get inflation. That's just economics. And then if you put mandates on things at the state or the federal level that, that artificially raise the cost of goods and services, you're also going to see an increase there. So think about housing, think about health care. Our very own legislature has put health care mandates in place that make insurance more expensive, so much so that someone like myself can no longer afford it. Um, I'm now doing a health care sharing plan because uh, insurance has gotten so expensive. And I think about housing as well. Are there mandates in place that make this more expensive? Um, same goes with crime, uh, sort of crime issues. Um, obviously, I'm not going to blame politicians for the actions of individuals stealing and carjacking and doing all these different things, but the legislature is responsible for any kind of uh, parole, bail, sentencing reforms they put into place, some of which probably a good idea, a, cor a corrective for kind of over-policing, but in other instances, letting people out early who don't, who shouldn't be out, people who simply go from a crime, um, they get booked, they're back out on the street committing crimes again. I really do think some of these issues need to be revisited. Eric. Well, first off, uh, the, the group that's put out this poll this past week, the Colorado Polling Institute, uh, hats off to them. They're relatively new on the scene. They came to the fore in the mayoral campaign earlier this year. David Carlson, who's a successful entrepreneur around town, has formed this, and I think it is uh, an asset for the community to have this kind of bipartisan, respected, not agenda-driven polling data on occasion. So uh, kudos to them. I found the poll itself completely unsurprising. Uh, the top three issues being cost of living, crime, housing affordability, housing affordability really being part of cost of living, completely unsurprising. You, you know, you can go outside the studio, 
put your finger in the air and you can feel all three of those issues being foremost in the wind and on people's minds. Um, and then the next set of issues below them, unsurprising as well. If there was any surprise in the poll, they asked people the traditional question that pollsters always ask, do you think the state in this case is going in the right direction or is it off on the wrong track? If you ask that question nationally these days, the wrong track number is huge. It's been huge for a decade or longer through Democratic administrations and Republican administrations. Colorado, the right track number was 50 to 43. 50 right track, 43 off on the wrong track. Now that's not an overwhelming number, but it deviates from the national norm. Uh, and it is not a bad sign of where the state is at. Do you think that's because they were saying that uh, of the people who have been here five years and less, think everything's awesome? <laughs> and we have so many new people coming here that they kind of, you know, balanced out people. I, th I think that's a, a good point, Kyle. There is a divide, and yeah. the poll showed the divide between old-timers, long-timers, et cetera, and newcomers to the state. And there's definitely a division of opinion and yeah. a different attitudes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I would say, if you're from California, uh, Colorado Pie does look pretty good. <laughs> okay, Tyra. You know, I think it's interesting how you know this local poll has been able to shed light on what it seems national polls and national reporters seem to be scratching their head about. Uh, you know, we've been seeing articles and reporting about how, oh, th the economy is great and inflation has slowed and look at the job numbers. Why aren't Americans feeling this? Why is everyone, you know, not just bullish on our economy? And I think you just have to look at, you know, this local poll and the very unsurprising results, as, as Eric put it. Uh, housing costs are still through the roof. Uh, yes, inflation has slowed but prices are still really, really high. People don't feel safe. They're looking around their communities and they're concerned about whether we're actually going to be able to solve uh, the homelessness crisis. And you cannot divorce those things from folks' feelings about the economy. So, you know, hopefully as these polls continue to, I think, reaffirm what we, we all know, we can get down to some common sense solutions that are not only grassroots up, but top down. Well, the Colorado Chamber said after looking at that poll, uh, we have these things we want the legislature to get busy and to make sure everything stays okay in Colorado. Well, it's, it's not like we weren't thinking about affordability before. Right. And that's when Eric says it wasn't surprising. It wasn't. And their first big poll last year, you could have gone to the supermarket and polled 200 people and probably gotten pretty much the same results. They certainly would have been concerned about how expensive products were. There were a few interesting things in here. When you think about it, how optimistic people were who'd moved here in the last five years, that actually shows that Colorado is probably doing better than we're thinking because they weren't disappointed by what they found. We have the myth of Colorado that everything's lovely and the um, environment is great and people are kind. And these people apparently think that's true. And it's always been the case, I think, that people who've lived here the longest are the most disappointed in the direction the state's going because their nostalgia isn't being fed. Um, I also thought it was gratifying that local governments are trusted as opposed to big governments. Journalists could have done better, however. Yeah. And I want to know where Krista buys her used chocolate. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't buy used chocolate. I'm thinking of like clothing and things like that. Uh, tend to, uh, you know, hit the consignment <laughs> shops. If I actually go to the mall, and I did go to the mall, I was like, wait, $5 for a piece of chocolate? Never mind, $75 for a sweater. Did you buy the chocolate? 
Yeah, and it was good. See? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Next year puts ballots before Coloradans three times, the first one being in March with the presidential primary. We will have a lot to decide in this new year. But there are a lot of questions surrounding the people at the top of the ballot right now, Eric. There certainly are. Uh, we'll talk about this on the year-end show in a mm -hmm. couple of weeks in terms of three elections next year. And the, the, the two of the biggest elections, I think, being in the congressional districts, Congressional District 3, the Boebert District, where she faces a severe challenge, both in the primary and then in the general, if she's able to survive the primary, and that's a big if. And then in Congressional District 4, where Ken Buck is departing, and it's a free-for-all uh, as to who will be his successor. But at the top of the ballot, we have the issue that is still unresolved as of this taping of uh, the Colorado Supreme Court ruling on the case of whether Donald Trump is qualified for the Colorado primary ballot. Uh, my neighbor here, uh, Ms. Caper, has something to do with, with that case. Uh, we have the whole Biden impeachment with the House of Representatives, very partisan, just authorized. It, Joe Neguse, I thought, asked uh, the very relevant question, which is, uh, can you please let us know you know, what he is accused of violating, what law he is accused of breaking. And this is, it's a search mission. Basically what they have authorized is a unrestrained search mission to go and find something. And then if they find something, they will act on that. Uh, and it continues, as you said in your preface to the show, there's no relief, not even over the holidays, uh, from the political stories. And then come January, it's going to ramp up real quickly. Iowa caucuses, uh, third week of January, New Hampshire, eight days after that, et cetera. So uh, it will keep us busy. Tyrone. And what is the crime that you are investigating, uh, said Congressman Goose. The over-politicization of this process, and I think even admittedly by uh, you know, Representative Reschenthaler, um, that this is political, which he very quickly walked back. Um, just how broad this term of high crimes and misdemeanors, we're just seeing how this is now being weaponized um, by, by, by the conservative side of, of, of lawmakers. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'd like to, and what I'm watching, is what's going on in our Supreme Court uh, you know, because we do have the Colorado State Supreme Court, we do have a decision that the justices, if we stay on track for when the ballots are finalized, should come down relatively quickly. And what it seems like is that this is potentially going to turn on, not necessarily what the lower courts found, uh, which um, you know, I think it'll ultimately come out probably the same way, but under different circumstances. And it really, just, I think, calls to question, just because you can, should you? Should you be bringing these lawsuits you know, around the state to try to keep President, you know, former President Trump off of the ballots? Because his polling numbers are really showing that all of these attacks are starting to be viewed as political, and they're just shoring up his support and shoring up his base. And so you know, it's one of these, these, these situations where, yes, there's maybe legally sound grounds to make these arguments. You're not going to get laughed out of court. You're not going to have your case dismissed for being frivolous. But at the end of the day, the net political gain here um, is only helping to sort of bolster your opposition, not advance the ball. 
So I think we're going to see from our Supreme Court likely that I think Trump will be on the ballot here. And that gives, I think, an opportunity uh, you know, for him to you know, hopefully lose this thing again fair and square. Well, to return to the previous topic, another gratifying thing in that poll was that election officials came out very high as trusted, highest category. And they're going to need that because in the next year, you can just imagine, we're going to continue seeing those attacks on election officials, just as we did in 2020, just as we did in 2016 when Trump, before he was ever on the ballot, was complaining that Colorado was rigged. So we'll see just how rigged Colorado is when the Colorado Supreme Court comes up with its decision regarding the Democratic henchman next to me, whether or not he's on the ballot. I think he probably will be on, on the ballot. Will he also be on trial at the same time? That's going to be up to the U.S. Supreme Court if, he's, uh, if he gets immunity or not. But we are in for a really wild season even before we get to the primaries. And let's see if the Colorado Republican Party can actually field a couple commonsensical candidates. We should point out the Democratic henchman Patty's referring to is allegedly Krista, although you are not Democratic. Or we think we're not. You're not a henchman. Oh, that is what he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually prefer henchwoman. Okay. Um, so, in, no, it's interesting. These issues kind of come together for me. I was a congressional staffer back when Clinton was impeached, and I remember, you know, as young, and I remember thinking, oh yeah, if you perjure yourself, you lie, you do these things, you misuse the office, you know, fool around with your intern, it's disgusting. You should get impeached. Well, and it never occurred to me, like, well, because we did this, what does that, what does that bode for the future? And I think that it kind of weaponized impeachment so that they were impeachment calls for Obama, for George W. Bush. Um, there was that whole stupid Russian collusion thing. How many millions of dollars of taxpayer money went to that, of just weaponizing these things over and over? And I, I agree with Tyrone. Um, and with our, our, our congressman is, you know, what crime was done here? It's, I'm, I'm hoping they, for their sake, have some proof that Biden actually gained something from his son's shady business dealings. But if there is no proof, they are now wasting the, the taxpayers' time and certainly wasting money with investigations. Uh, on the flip side of that, though, is, is you know, we, we do have to ask ourselves, if we do this, what are the unintended consequences? And I think weaponizing impeachment um, that kind of shows that, how that could happen there. But there's always that question of what happens if we don't do something. So what happens if you have a president who loses an election and then uh, pushes a huge lie that he did win the election, foments a mob, that mob attacks a capital, the capital, in order to stop the, the uh, certification of votes, in order essentially to, to stop the democratic process? Given that that is, as a court has ruled now, truly insurrection, if we don't apply the Constitution in this way to say, yeah, if you do something like that, you don't get to run again. Uh, you've taken an oath to the office, and now you've broken that, off, that, that oath in a, in, a, in a truly horrible way. Um, if we don't do something, whether it's politically prudent, whether it's simply going to galvanize um, somebody's support among their party, um, but if, if, we, if we don't do that, what happens the next time around when somebody who has a popular following does that and actually succeeds? We have to apply the Constitution now because well, if we don't act, things could be worse. Any follow-up? You know, in the way that I think looking at the totality all of it, I think if we were, I think, in the immediate aftermath of 
January 6th, really looking into all of this and pursuing all of these um, routes, it, I think, would maybe have a different effect. The fact that we've had all of these different lawsuits, both civilly and criminally, around the country in the lead up to the election, you know, different theories of culpability and liability, and then now really on the eve of him potentially being on the ballot is when much of this is coming to fruition. Uh, my point is that the timing of all of this, and especially with his ascent as of recent, have really painted him in this light as somebody who is being prosecuted and targeted for political reasons. Mm -hmm. And it could be worse the next time around. My point is that if we, if these folks are successful in their endeavors, it will be really bad this time around. So um, the thought of a situation where he does get disqualified in the lead up, um, I agree with the concerns of some of the justices. We could be really looking at something very chaotic. There is no room at the inn. That is a phrase we hear a lot of this time of year with the story of the nativity. And here in Colorado, it is tough to find room or shelter or care for all the migrants. And that includes families. And it's been a cold week. And it's not just Denver or metro cities dealing with the influx of migrants. Mountain communities are as well. Tyrone, we've heard Carbondale has said, we can't take any more migrants. Um, the cities are strapped. There are a lot of people saying, oh, I can help, I can help. But it's a crisis now. It's absolutely a crisis. And these folks are fleeing a crisis and they're fleeing horrors and, and, and turmoil in their own countries. What's been really beautiful about all of this is where our cities and our governments um, have not been able to step up, the people have, right? All power to the people. We've seen these grassroots efforts, whether it's uh, access to language, whether it's access to services, getting kids to school, you know, connecting people with jobs and city resources. You know, what makes a democracy great are the people, and the people here at this grassroots level have really stepped up to help these folks in a beautiful way. Oh, it's amazing because right now, and the city's had to change it to rules for how long migrants can be housed in shelter in the cold weather. You know, it was going to be, what, it was 14 days mm -hmm. for single people, I think 37 for families. They've extended that now, which is good because it's cold. What are you going to do with kids? But it is extraordinary how much people have been stepping up and always asking, what more can I do? Because the government's strapped right now. And you have the Johnston administration trying to house a 1,000 people who are not the migrants. And at the same time, we have 3,000 migrants here that they're already in shelter. Mm -hmm. It's cold out there. We need to make sure that folks are in from the cold, that they have access to food, to shelter, to medical care. Um, and, you know, a lot of these folks are fleeing. They are true refugees, true asylees, people who are fleeing terrible circumstances. And are, uh, we need to do what we can, both as individuals and as, as a, a community, to support them. But I also think it's important that Congress take a look at our border policies. Because right now, we, we're letting in um, pretty much everyone that says they have a credible fear. Some of the people do have a credible fear. They are true refugees fleeing horrible circumstances. And I, I have friends that are asylees. If they had stayed uh, where they were at, um, they, they would have been killed. If they go home, they will be killed. 
Um, that is the definition of somebody that we have, a, I believe, a, a moral and ethical responsibility to take into our communities, to support, to help. They will become part of the fabric of our culture, um, and, and they will be Americans one day, and I think that's wonderful. But we also have another group of people that just want to come here to work, and I get that. Um, we've got jobs. They may not be able to get jobs in their native country, but they're coming over the border under false pretense that they are refugees, and that's not fair. Um, that's not fair for those who are refugees. It, um, it's not fair for the cities that are taking in people that honestly they they can't really take it anymore. Um, and and you know we we need to be able to provide services for those who really need those services and have some mechanism at the border to determine which is which. And uh, right now, I, I honestly I think it's in Biden's uh, court that the Congress has said, the Republicans have said, we are happy to fund Ukraine, and I, I'm a big uh, proponent of, of funding Ukraine, um, if we can get some of these needed changes here at the border that will prevent those that are not really refugees from coming into our country and allow us to serve those refugees and asylees as we should. Eric. Well, I think most of it has been said. Uh, particular shout out to people who are rallying individual citizens and organizations around the state. There are tons of them. I'll, I'll do a particular call out to the Newcomers Fund at the Rose Community Foundation. Happens to be run by a, a friend of mine, but they're doing good work, as are many other funds and uh, efforts uh, throughout the state. Whatever troubles we have in our country, whatever challenges we have, and we talk about them on a weekly basis and we can all recite them, we should be aware that our country is still a magnet for many, many people, dispossessed people around the world who would do anything to come here, and we're observing that they will do anything to come here uh, by this migration crisis. Uh, there's a, a, a new migrant to this country from Venezuela, and we all understand what Venezuela is, who's now in Carbondale, Colorado, and if you think Denver's cold, subtract another 15 degrees, and uh, you're in Car Carbondale. This gentleman is living in a car while looking for work, while being willing to clean toilets or do anything to bring a small paycheck. And his quote, translated from Spanish to English, was, life is already much better here than in Venezuela, a thousand times better. When somebody is living in a car and still says that, you get a sense of what the conditions were where they're coming from. Now is the time of the show when we have our panelists run through what they see as a high and a low of the week. We'll start with something that's a disappointment or a low, Patty, for you. Well, I have to say, if I were Lauren Boebert, which is hard to even imagine, I would not be partying with George Santos in New York City right now if I really wanted to keep my seat. Okay. All maybe, right. Maybe she's having a ball. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I want to uh, give my shame of the week to uh, El Paso Republicans who want to put forth this uh, resolution. They want the state party to, to vote on it uh, that would basically say that, they, that, that Trump would be declared the, the winner and that they want all of the other candidates to stand down. So basically, if you haven't been indicted, um, Please stand down and, and shut down your campaign. We want the guy who's been indicted. I, I, you know, way to really alienate all of those right-leaning, right-leaning people who left the Republican Party, um, who you could have counted on for votes, who may just sit this one out. Hmm. Eric. 
Well, those are both good ones. Uh, Elizabeth Epps, state representative from Central Denver, a gift that is now continuing to give around this table. We've talked about her temper tantrum during the special legislative session, uh, her complete lack of any decorum and indefensible conduct up in the gallery. Yes, she has her free speech rights, but she does not have the right to completely bring a legislative session to a halt to indulge her own whims. Uh, and she is, still has a committee assignment. Yes, the Speaker of the House, Julie McCluskey, took away, took her off the Judiciary Committee, but she still sits on the uh, State Affairs Committee. Uh, if Democrats are going to protest when the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene and others go completely bonkers and still have committee assignments, uh, it cuts both ways and they ought to clean their own house. Mm -hmm. hey, I'd like to highlight a two-part series that came out in the Denver Post about the vicious cycle of our courts, mental health, and competency systems. Uh, this is something that has been on the radar for a, a long time and is now, I think, just getting some daylight to the public. But folks you know, sitting in custody uh, for over a year, not receiving mental health services, seeing a deterioration in their health, their families not really knowing what's going on, and they're just being a, a log jam and a backlog. So hopefully the silver lining in all of this is now that there's some daylight and some awareness, we can get to fixing it. But this is a problem that's existed for years, and we haven't seen progress. We've really only seen it get worse. And you've talked about it on the show many times. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Patty, something good or something that makes you merry, let's say. Another thing almost unimaginable, I'm going to congratulate Ayante Anderson, who, although I think his campaign on Black Sanchez focusing on Cherry Creek is really not the place to go, he will be out on Welton Street on Saturday playing a black Santa for the kids who've never seen a Santa that looks like them. So good for him. Okay, Krista. I'm gonna give it to the International Rescue Committee. Um, it's actually an international organization that helps refugees, but they have a, um, an operation here in Denver helping folks that, that have come here from very difficult places get back on their feet and become part of the fabric of our community. Good job, that IRC. Is good. That is good, Eric. As of this week, Colorado has two additions to the list of national historic landmarks. They're both worthy places. Temple Aaron in Trinidad, Colorado. I, I learned years and years ago that the first Jewish synagogue in the state of Colorado was in Trinidad. Who would have thunk it? It is a wonderful building. And Wink's Panorama, which is part of Lincoln <coughs> Hills, which has an important place in African-American history in this state, dating back to when discrimination was rampant and the Ku Klux Klan ran loose in Denver and there were other horrors and outrages. And this panorama building is now on the national list, the National Historic Register. Those are good, good ones. Yes. So I'll give a shout out to holiday giving and specifically one that the Westward highlighted. Um, the Colorado Hardcore uh, Toy Jive, a hardcore punk rock concert tomorrow at the Marquee, uh, headlined by Fight Like Hell. Um, I was actually at their last show. My very dear friend Joey Chase is their front man. He's since uh, leaving uh, Fight Like Hell, went to DU Law School, 
um, and is now a social justice lawyer, and I call him a dear friend. So, Joey, I'll try to be there, but you know, I've I've got I've got the kids, so fitters are some sometimes hard this time of year. <laughs> yeah. But definitely giving them a shout. This will probably be their again last show but also thank you to the westford for covering them okay and for me my positive is more of a well wish and a go get them to the undefeated school of mines or diggers who are playing for the division two national football championship tomorrow against also undefeated harding university i am wearing these earrings i just put them on these football earrings that krista kafer made for me to support the uh, mines you know they were in the championship last year they lost so this we hope is the year that they bring the trophy home and thanks again that can be in theme this week and Krista she makes jewelry too and uh, way to go get them this week panel thank you all as well for watching at home we appreciate it or listening to the podcast on Spotify have a wonderful weekend I'm Kyle Dyer I will see you next week here on PBS 12